You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked on Vikings. I am your host, your pal in the Katie Copied Off in Math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. Today's episode is brought to you by Lives of the Stoics. From the best-selling authors of The Daily Stoic comes the ultimate stoicism guide to success, resilience, and virtue. To accept what you cannot control and adapt to what you can. A, ph- a philosophy sports teams across the country are successfully adapting. Lives of the Stoics, The Art of Living, from Zeno to Mark. Marcus Aurelius is available now wherever books are sold. And today we have to start off with some pretty major news coming out of Sunday's game against the Titans. On Tuesday morning, it was reported that there were a bunch of positive tests from the Titans organization. Eight people among staff and players, I think three players, five staff members, were positive for COVID-19 when that game was played. So we have an outbreak situation, and this is not something that takes the NFL by much surprise at all. They have protocols in place for exactly this kind of thing, and they even said so much in a statement as to say, like, this probably was going to happen. It would have been pretty lucky if we went through the whole season without something like this happening. So they kind of know what to do, uh, or at least know what they were planning to do. So here's where we go from there. In Minnesota, they've shut down the facility um, on Tuesday. They will have the facility shut down on Wednesday as well, so there won't be a Wednesday practice. They're going to do as much as they can virtually, but they won't have a traditional practice, and they are continuing to test everybody daily. So after Wednesday, they'll have taken, uh, they'll, they'll have gotten two test results back from after Sunday. They'll have the Monday test results and the Tuesday test results back. They actually got the, uh, test results from Monday back, from Monday morning back, and there were no positives on the Vikings. However, you wouldn't necessarily expect expect positives because the virus could still be incubating or whatever, and it might not show up on a test yet. So come Thursday, they'll have the Tuesday and Wednesday results, and those will be the two negatives that somebody who's been exposed to COVID-19 needs to get back out there and back into the facility. So until then, the entire Vikings operation is going to be shut down. And we just kind of have to wait and see how the tests come back. On the Titan side of things, they're shutting down for a lot longer. They're, they are going to shut down their operations all the way up until Saturday, and they are still going to try to play a game on Sunday. If it does come out that there's you know a huge outbreak and, and a whole bunch of players need to be put on COVID IR uh, or any of the other like roster things that need to happen, there's a few options. Of course, you know you could go the totally nuclear route and like cancel or forfeit a game or something. That would be far more likely to happen for the Titans, who could have had uh, even more exposure than the original eight tests since they played a game and they traveled together and all that stuff. There could be even more positives there, um, and so it's a little more likely for them. But even still, they have there are 16 players on the practice squad who didn't travel to Minnesota with the team. And Mike Vrabel even said, like, hey, if we have to play, we have to play. If we have to play without practicing, if we have to play with backups, you know, we're going to go out there and play. And so I think more likely what you would see is uh, a game played with like a whole bunch of backups or something, or, you know, they kind of trot out a B team. They probably don't win, but at least the game gets played uh, and you don't have, you know, you maybe just kind of have a pretty good excuse for if you lose. And the same thing applies to the Vikings, albeit on a smaller scale because the limited, the the contact with uh, players who were carrying COVID-19 during the game is a little bit limited. Now the players who were carrying COVID uh, were, 
exposed to the Vikings a lot. One of them was Daquan Jones, defensive tackle, starting defensive tackle for the Titans. He played 45 snaps on defense, uh, lining up mostly against the interior offensive line. He also had a quarterback hit. He had a couple tackles on running backs, um, and also their long snapper, was positive. The third player uh, is a tight end who was not active, so he didn't uh, come in contact with the Vikings at all. Now, because they have contact tracing and everybody was, you know, hooked up with the device that tells you if you got too close to somebody, they know exactly who was in contact with people. And between the Vikings and Titans organizations, there were 48 people who were are, are being considered exposed to COVID-19, which, and I, I don't know how many of those are Titans and how many of those are Vikings, but it's still, it's a pretty, a fairly significant portion of the population of these organizations. So what could end up happening is maybe, you know, you have to bring uh, Aviant Collins and Kyle Hinton and Brett Jones onto the the offensive line. Maybe, you know, if somebody on the defensive special teams, you know, lined up against the long snapper too many times, or, you know, Daquan Jones, who lined up against like Rashad Hill in field goal uh, alignments all the time, or even if they have to do something with the running backs or the quarterbacks, because obviously Daquan Jones got a few pressures, got up in Kirk Cousins' face a bunch, even got a hit on him, that could be enough. It's certainly uh, much worse to be somebody that like lined up against him every play in, on, in a you know phone booth trenches situation. Um, but we will probably learn a little bit about transmission of COVID-19 because this is a fairly unique context that could be informative, right? They are wearing uh, face masks that have like a visor on them. So there's like some protection, a very specific, you know, unique amount of protection. Um, it is, you know, like short bursts of super high risk contact where you're like blocking someone, but it's only for like two seconds, but you're breathing and it's high risk and you're really close. And then you walk away from them. What does that do? Is there transmission there? Or is there, you know, less or more than you would usually expect? So it could be uh, an informative incident, but really the, the hope is that nobody particularly vulnerable comes down with it. I also was thinking about, you know, Michael Pierce, who opted out of the season, and I, I don't know if he would have played on field goals or not, but if he did, and if he ended up, you know, face-to-face with the long snapper on a field goal formation, and he has asthma, you know, like, that is basically exactly what he was trying to avoid by opting out, and I, I can't help but think about, you know, that decision right now. It, it's a pretty kind of scary thing, you know, you, you see... Uh, it's it's hard to focus on like the game tape, which is what we're gonna do all day today. We're gonna talk about the tape uh, a- after we're done talking about this. But you know, it's it's like hard to focus on that when it's very clear that you could be watching. Like, oh wow, look at this like blocking technique. He might have caught COVID right here. I might be watching a moment where he caught COVID nineteen, and, and it's it's very strange to like get your head wrapped around that. So we're gonna engage in a little bit of distraction. We're gonna talk about the tape, and I'm gonna try to focus on some of the more fun elements of the tape, just so that we have something fun to talk about. There's a few things that are problems that I should that I that I like want to explain and talk about. Uh, but you know, let's let's back off it. Let's look at the all twenty two. Let's look at some of the like PFF stats and some of the the like more advanced charting data that's out there and dive into this Titans game where we can really find out kind of what happened. You know, I keep thinking about that mailbag question from yesterday's show. Go listen to that if you are interested in the mailbag or a very strange thought experiment where uh, Eric Eric Biennemi and Mike Zimmer have a freaky Friday. But somebody kind of asked, you know, like, okay, what happened in this game? And there's so much that happens in over the course of a game, especially a game that is w- decided by one point. It was 30 to 31. There's so many things that you could like point at and say, if you change that, it changes the outcome of the game. So we're, we'll talk about as many of those as we possibly can. We'll talk about Justin Jefferson and, and some of the things uh, that, that he showed on tape and some of the interesting stuff that I think helps us evaluate the coaching too. And Mike Zimmer and kind of, you know, is his deep, like what, what, 
value are we still getting out of having a guy like Mike Zimmer as the coach, as, you know, a, a defensive schemer? So we'll talk about all of that. But first, a real quick word. Now more than ever, it's important to show support for your team and your community. Visa and the National Football League know that local businesses help your community move the ball down the field. Small businesses everywhere are overcoming challenges in these new times thanks to teammates like you and Visa. Because when everyone pitches in, everyone benefits. Being loyal to local businesses ignites growth and supports all of us and our communities. Because they know that where you shop matters, Visa urges you to support local retailers who are making shopping safe and reliable. And remember, tap to pay with a contactless Visa whenever you see the contactless symbol to help support your community. Visa, official partner of the NFL. Okay, let's talk a little bit about some of the tapes. So I, I think you probably are already familiar with some of the numbers that come out of this game, like some of the PFF numbers, but if you're not, I mean, the, one of the biggest ones was uh, Drew Samia giving up like six pressures, mostly against Jeffrey Simmons. That was a uh, pretty strong mismatch. It was one that we even uh, that we even highlighted on Crossover Thursday with, uh, with Tyler at Locked on Titans. And watching the tape of those, uh, of, of those plays, what I think is most disappointing about it is that Jeffrey Simmons didn't have to use pass rush moves to generate pressure. He didn't have to use like techniques that, you know, are, are polished or any veteran stuff. He was just so much more powerful than Drew Samia. And that is a thing, you know, Drew Samia is not a run mauler. I mean, yeah, he played at like Oklahoma or whatever, but he is, and, and, and yeah, like they're like famous for putting out, but Drew Samia was uh, an agile guy. He was a good athlete, but he wasn't that kind of athlete. So you would expect him to to be at a disadvantage against like powerful defensive tackles. That's kind of the trade-off you get for getting a guy that can run a zone scheme and do the agile stuff and screen block and run around, you know, follow Dalvin Cook down the field and all that stuff. Um, that's that's the trade-off. So you'd expect some, but this was unbelievably bad, just giving up all sorts of room in the pocket, forcing Kirk Cousins to bail all the time. It was it was a pretty abysmal performance. Um, it, you saw some hiccups from Garrett Bradbury as well. Of course, one really high-profile one in that final sequence where he got blown back and, and ultimately put on his backside by Jeffrey Simmons again, and then, of course, the bad snap in that sequence as well, um, but throughout the game, he was otherwise, I think, completely acceptable, um, and, and Dakota Dozier wasn't quite as good, uh, and, of course, you know, the tackles held up okay, and again, they they kept Genevion Clowney in, like, reasonably in check until that final sequence. The Titans used a ton of stunts, and a bunch of blitzes, but the blitzes were not just like vanilla blitzes. You know, you would, a, a lot of teams would just like say, okay, we're just going to send an extra person and try to stress the gaps. And a, a lot of times that's enough. And that's, you know, a, a blitz that works fine. But the Titans used a lot of other like gap confusing methods, like having guys loop all the way around. They probably watched the Colts did this too, and it worked really well. So the Titans probably watched that and said, we'll do it too. And of course it generated a whole bunch of pressure. And the way out of that is unfortunately you have to keep continuity. Like you have to get guys that can, you know, have the right chemistry and know when to pass one uh, rusher off to the guy next to them. And the person has to know that a guy's about to get passed to them. Otherwise, you know, you just pass them off into nothing and they get a free sack. Um, that actually happened on the Kyle Rudolph touchdown, the really crazy catch in the back of the end zone where uh, Kirk Cousins was taking a QB hit. And that was the QB hit from uh, Daquan Jones, by the way. Um, but that, that was Drew Samia passed Daquan Jones off to Garrett Bradbury, but Garrett Bradbury, 
Bradbury was uh, setting up to block a blitzing linebacker. So he basically passed Daquan Jones off to nobody, and Daquan Jones was just like freely unblocked, ready to go in. That's the kind of miscommunication that happens when you have guys that aren't used to playing together. And so even if you did want to say, okay, we're benching Drew Samio, we're going to bring in, you know, Avian Collins, or we're going to put some, you know, put Ezra Cleveland at right guard. You know, they tried that for a hot second at the uh, at the outset of camp. Um, you know, if you wanted to do that, sure, but then you would have to like start all the way from scratch and you probably make those communication issues worse. So unfortunately, you just have to kind of hope that you win in spite of the uh, unfixable flaws like Drew Samia just not being powerful enough to keep up with guys like Jeffrey Simmons while improving in the communication flaws. And the nice thing is, you know, getting bull rushed back is a lot easier to overcome as a quarterback than a f- completely free pass rusher uh, that you have to run away from. So hopefully, you know, it, it's probably should be a higher priority to get rid of the communication issues than to like replace the personnel and get rid of, you know, the, the actual like ability things long term, the ability things will be harder to solve. So eventually you got to get somebody in there. But in terms of the week to week thing, you just have to stop miscommunicating, stop, you know, getting the wrong snap count. That's what happened on that botched snap. Nobody else went. If you look at that play on the offensive line, Garrett Bradbury snapped it and everybody else stayed absolutely still. And so, you know, the Titans who are watching the ball ran right by him because they didn't think that the snap was going to happen. And neither did Kirk Cousins. He wasn't ready to to catch it until it went over his head. So that's the offensive line. The only other thing that I'm going to point out as like a consistent like kind of issue um, is I want to talk about the uh, Mike Zimmer defense playing off coverage. Somebody asked me about that. Hey, you know, while I was like posting all the tape for this and I'll link a bunch of them in the show notes uh, so you can like know the plays that I'm talking about. But the uh, the the thing with off coverage is, and you probably have seen this, right? It's third and two or it's third and four or whatever. And the cornerback is playing eight, nine yards off of the line of scrimmage, leaving a whole bunch of room in front of them. And the wide receiver goes, okay. And they run to the, to the sticks. They turn around, they catch a quick hitch. And it's a really, really easy conversion. You go, why in the world did they do that? And so it is a mistake. I'm going to explain why that mistake happens, but don't mistake it for me, like making excuses or whatever. It is a mistake that the cornerback is making to play that far off and they shouldn't be playing that far off. But the way that a Zimmer defense works is for one, it gives the cornerbacks the leeway to make the decision on every single snap, whether or not to play up or to play off or like how, how much cushion to give. And what determines that is a whole bunch of factors. Down and distance is one of them, but there's like a million other things. I asked Trey Waynes about this when I interviewed him back in March, so go check out that episode if you want. Um, but basically, they are doing this based off of like alignment and formation and tape study and uh, and also matchup, right? If you have a big burner, you're going to play off a little bit more often because that guy is probably going to go deep a lot. If you know that this is a player that doesn't have a lot of speed and the, the, you know, the Titans know it and they're just not going to ever send that guy deep, then you know you can play kind of up a lot more and not have to give as much cushion because they just don't run that many deep routes. If your tapes, you know, and and when you study tape, you go, oh, wow, third and short, they come out in this formation. They run this concept a lot. There's a play that I'm that I was kind of referencing when I was like explaining this on Twitter, at least that was uh, a third and four where Holton Hill lines up about eight yards off the ball and gives up a nine yard out. And that actually turned out to be the right depth. He just lost at the uh, at the point of contact in the break and he got pushed off the route and it created enough separation for Ryan Tannehill to make an easy throw. Um, So it, it wasn't like the off coverage being the problem, but basically he probably knew that when they come out in that formation in third and short, that uh, the 
the Titans like to run like a, a high low stretch concept or all that means is you know you have a guy kind of deeper a, a nine yard route and then you have a guy in the flat and it's supposed to stretch that cornerback who's uh, responsible for guarding that sideline you either go up in the or you, you either you know cover the out and then the flat is right there and he can just waltz across the line or if you go try to cover the flat then you're leaving an unguarded out you know nine yards down the field and that's kind of the the point of the stretch play and he knows that when that kind of play is called somebody else is going to take the flat for him and he's going to be the one responsible for the nine yard out part of the play so he kind of knows oh okay they're going to run probably this kind of play at this kind of depth so I'm going to align myself to try and like basically like guess their their play call and try to figure out you know and try to like set myself up best to force an incompletion if you just guard you know if you just line up with your heels on the sticks and you just guard that they'll just run a nine yard out anyways and he probably would have been in worse position to guard that play if he were in like a press alignment so understand that there's like a lot that goes on with the uh the the decision on like where how deep to align there's a lot that goes on that goes into that decision but it is a lot of stuff to process and so the fact that cornerbacks especially young cornerbacks who aren't necessarily as used to the Zimmer system as somebody like Rhodes or Waynes were and Waynes actually had this problem throughout his whole career his whole his whole time here um but you know knowing that and knowing that it's, you know, young corners trying to figure it out, the fact that they screw it up all the time isn't particularly surprising, and it's like a cost of having to trot somebody out there that isn't ready to play yet. Jeff Gladney, not ready to play yet, and he had a bunch of communication issues that kind of caused a lot of his worst plays on the day that just happened to be, like, not really understanding or, or you know, going after the wrong guy or, uh, you know, passing off the zone improperly or having to process stuff really way too quickly. It's a lot of rookie stuff, and, and it makes me a, a little, I know it sounds weird, but it makes me a little bit optimistic about Jeff Gladney and the way that he's struggling seems to be related to very normal rookie stuff rather than very discouraging he's not very good at football stuff it's just rookie stuff and and hopefully he can work through it as the season goes on but there's actually a lot of really interesting and exciting things that come out of this game that I want to talk about and kind of break down. So stick around and we'll uh, we'll talk about some of the happier stuff like Justin Jefferson, like that Harrison Smith interception that was really cool. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about all that stuff so stick around. All right, let's talk about something a little bit fun, and I want to kick off with the very, very cool Justin Jefferson touchdown, the big, long 71-yarder, and I want to talk about kind of what happened in that play and, and how it speaks to a larger trend that I'm really excited about. So, of course, that play, you know, big, long touchdown to Justin Jefferson. He lines up in the slot. Adam Thielen motions across the formation, and what that motion does is it makes things really... This is exactly what we talked about yesterday in the Eric Bieniemy thing. It really, really stressed the assignments of the Titans' defense. And they came out with an alignment against the formation the Vikings were using before that motion. They came out with an alignment where Justin Jefferson was basically going to be uh, the, the bracketed receiver on that side of the field, which meant that there was going to be somebody who was responsible for anything Justin Jefferson runs low and something that somebody that's responsible for anybody that Justin Jefferson runs high. And it was a good alignment. And it's exactly what they wanted to have called for the play. But then Adam Thielen comes to the other form, side of the formation and it totally screws up their numbers game. Now somebody has to take Thielen and somebody has to take Jefferson and they had to, uh, you know, and they, they couldn't, like, use that kind of pseudo-double-team uh, numbers advantage that you get when you try to bracket somebody. So now that there was a one-on-one, -on -one, it was Jonathan Joseph in the slot, where I don't think he's nearly as comfortable, by the way, and he also had to carry Thielen all the way across the formation and then process, and he's a veteran, so this isn't as hard for him, but, you know, then process that he's supposed to, okay, now I have to guard Justin Jefferson, and that takes a second as well. So he didn't end up in very good position when the play was snapped because the Vikings snapped that play, uh, like, while all of that change was still kind of in transition on the Titans' defense, so you kind of catch them out of position. 
And then Justin Jefferson's route was also really, really exciting to watch. It was a, a corner route from the opposite side of the formation, which basically, so it was basically like a, a, a glorified go route, but you kind of angle it a little bit. Um, and what he did was, you know, he's running at that angle, but he just did one step a little bit harsher, more harshly upfield than, uh, just, it was a very, very, very subtle step, but Jonathan Joseph, veteran that he is, is going to catch on to that and try to adjust, and it turns into a little bit of a hesitation, and by the time he realizes that that little step upfield was actually a fake out, Justin Jefferson has created a whole bunch of separation because he had way more momentum and was able to do that at the point where, uh, Jonathan Joseph was on the field, which was, again, an unideal point caused by the motion pre-snap. So not only did the motion make things easier, but Justin Jefferson was able to turn an advantageous uh, situation into a full-on touchdown. And then, of course, the awesome yards after the catch play and making the safety miss uh, and, and, you know, trailing Jonathan or having leaving Jonathan Joseph in the dust with the speed and all that was also very, very exciting. And you also saw uh, the the kind of patented find-the-hole-in-the-zone ability that Justin Jefferson always had. This was a huge thing with him at LSU, and it's nice to see that bear out in the NFL as well. But it, really, that's a kind of a cliche that doesn't get like explained enough. So what that it means, it, like the skill of that is, tr- uh, you know, determining whether you are in the right spot to make the quarterback's job easier, right? If you go too deep, you bring the safety into the play. If you go too shallow, you're going to have to compete with a linebacker for the ball. You go too far this way or that way, you mess up the throwing lanes. And and really, it's that kind of spatial awareness, understanding not only the throwing lanes, like it's, it's more complicated than just being able to run your route at a place where you're far away from every defender. There's a throwing lane thing to it. So you make sure that you're not forcing Kirk Cousins to throw it over a linebacker and drop it in a bucket or forcing him to, you know, throw it under a safety that's crashing down on you and understanding everything and, and processing what's going on, on at, at NFL speed against an NFL defense is a really, really cool thing to see Justin Jefferson display. It means that like he's ready. And he did have the miscommunication that led to the interception, uh, the one that would have been a pick six, but Jadeveon Clowney uh, did a personal foul penalty. It was a pressured throw, and so if Kirk Cousins came out and said, oh, no, actually, he was in the right place and I just missed because of the pressure, like, that actually would probably check out, but I still think it's more likely that Justin Jefferson just ran the wrong route. He curled in and he should have gone to the outside or something like that, and so the ball was delivered to a place that... Justin Jefferson was not, the defensive back was, and it turned into an interception. And so that kind of mistake still can't happen, but hopefully that's the kind of thing that shores up. And the ability to read the defense is the kind of thing that sticks around. At least that's how it typically works out. But there were a whole bunch of really important plays in this one where the Vikings used motion at the snap to confuse the gaps and to kind of put the Titans defense in weird conflicts and, you know, weird momentums. And it's basically exactly what I was asking for on yesterday's show when I did the what would Eric be enemy change thought experiment. Then I went into the tape of week three and I saw exactly what I was asking for. And so that's really encouraging. It seems like a lesson that they've learned. And maybe it's not like a thing that they went, oh, we're going to not use motion at the snap. And then it goes bad and they go, oh, well, we were wrong. Now we're, we'll use motion at the snap. But it's more like we couldn't install motion at the snap. So we couldn't get the players to like reliably do this to a point where they wouldn't mess it up. And now that it's been a few weeks, we've been able to install it now that we've had a little bit more time. I think that's probably more likely and is one of those things when, you know, when I say, oh, well, maybe they're bad because they didn't have a preseason. That's the kind of thing that like that would tend to manifest itself that way, where they have to run super simple concepts because it's all they were able to install virtually. And so hopefully those interesting wrinkles continue to kind of work in over the season and by week, you know, five or six, the Vikings are back to normal. Might be too late to actually like be able to put up a competitive record, 
but hopefully they can come back to, you know, being competitive in games and we can start to figure out, okay, you know, if they can win this one, win this one, this one, you know, how do they get back in it? How far back are they in the thing? I still wouldn't uh, expect them to be particularly competitive here for like the NFC North, which has two, three and O teams in it. Right. And you're already three games out of first in, you know, by week three, that's a big hole to climb out of, but if they are going to climb out of it, it kind of has to look like this. It has to look by week three. They have to be displaying some of the things that they did display in week three. So at least that's pretty good. I also want to talk about the uh, the Harrison Smith thing. So I, when I was posting tape, I posted a clip of like Holton Hill not looking very good. He just he just got beat at the the point of contact on a route, and he kind of like tripped and fell over, and it looked really silly. And I was like, "Hey, here's Holton Hill looking silly." Uh, and somebody was like, "Gosh, if, if why have a defensive minded head coach if the defense looks like this all the time?" And to answer that question, I pointed to the interception, the uh, the the interception that Harrison Smith had uh, like around the goal line on Ryan Tannehill was a very 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 zimmery interception. Um, it was so the, the Vikings had a split safety look before the snap, which means both uh, Anthony Harrison, and Harrison Smith were back deep and it looked like they were going to split the field. When a quarterback sees that, they usually think the middle of the field deep is going to be open, right? Because you have, you know, Anthony Harris on the left, Harrison Smith on the right, and nobody in the middle. And even if it's quarters, that's still a middle of the field open thing. You can probably get a person, you know, to split right the, the space right between them and, and you know, uh, complete something over the seams or something like that. Meanwhile, the wide receiver who was lined up against Holton Hill was running just a quick go pattern, and Holton Hill knew what the coverage was going to be, and Ryan Tannehill didn't. So what Holton Hill did is he kind of erred to the side of the sideline. He basically said everything between the receiver and the sideline, any throw between the receiver and the sideline is going to be my responsibility, and he knew that if the, uh, that if Ryan Tannehill threw a ball to the inside of him. He wouldn't be in great position to defend it, but he knew that there would be a safety there to help him out because what this actually was, was a a disguised cover three. I think it was like a cover three, kind of a robber or something like that. But basically uh, without getting bogged down into the terminology, because I'm probably wrong about that. uh, Anthony Harris actually crashed in and had an underneath responsibility. And Harrison Smith was actually responsible for the entire middle of the field. And he was just lined up in a place that made it look like something else. So what happened is because Holton Hill was kind of airing to the side of the outside, Ryan Tannehill saw some space to throw to the inside and thought, all right, now I'll put a little bit of air under this and, and allow the, uh, the wide receiver to go get it. And I might be able to throw a touchdown here as long as I throw him open. If I throw him away from the coverage, so throw away from Holton Hill, I'll do that. And he put so much air under it and put, uh, so much like inside, like put it so much to the inside that it allowed Harrison Smith to come all the way across the formation and enter a play that he otherwise would not have been a part of. So part of it was just the disguise in the coverage, causing the quarterback to make a mistake. That is the entire, like the whole thesis of the Mike Zimmer defense is to generate interceptions like that, especially when you have good safeties like Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris. But it's also tiny subtleties like Holton Hill playing to the outside and and Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris disguising their coverage properly and breaking really quickly. There's a lot that kind of like a lot of players had to be good to generate that interception. And it was nice to see that successfully happen. So there's a lot in this game that I think we can take that is positive that we can use to say, okay, well, maybe things will turn around and maybe they won't. Maybe that this week was like a total fluke. But watching the tape, if I had to guess, I would say it's less fluky and more the lack of preseason thing is wearing off 
off and it might be too late for that to, you know, turn them into a championship team or anything like that. But in a situation where the Vikings are watchable, it looks a lot like this. Like this has the signal to be something that we can actually bear to watch for the rest of the season. And you know what? I'm going to let myself be excited about that. So thank you guys so much for hanging out and listening to this episode of Locked on Vikings. That's going to be it on the Titans game. We're going to put a moratorium on it. We'll keep an eye on all of the COVID-19 IR stuff and what happens with the roster, what has to happen with the roster. I would imagine if there's a whole bunch of people unable to play in the Texans game, they'll uh, bring their practice, their their replacements up from the expanded practice squad. That's the whole point of that. And we'll cover that as it goes down. Tomorrow is crossover Thursday, so we'll be talking to the guys over at Locked On at Texans, and I'll ask them about what they do when they go up against really bad guards in inexperienced corners. Um, so we'll talk about all of that stuff, and uh, we will begin our process of previewing the Houston Texans. It's an interesting matchup because they're also 0-3, but their opponents have not lost a game except to each other. They they played, you know, the Ravens, who are 2-1, and and the one loss is to the 3-0 Chiefs, and they also lost to the 3-0 Steelers. So that is uh, an interesting team to talk about, and I, I look forward to diving in. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. Today's show was brought to you by Visa, the official partner of the NFL. And as always, Skull.